Well, good morning again. Um, the night that President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, he had several article clippings on him. And if you go to the Smithsonian Institute in D.C., you'll see that they actually display them. And one of the articles uh, was recounting all of his victories and successes and all the wonderful things about him. And the title of the article was, Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. And it was a well-worn article. It looked like something that he might have pulled out of his pocket frequently to look at. And I think it's a reminder to us that everyone needs encouragement. Everyone, you know, Lincoln now is widely celebrated, but when he actually led, he was widely criticized. And I can just envision him in moments of great criticism and great conflict and crisis, pulling that little article clipping out of his pocket and looking at it, reminding himself, somebody believes in me. Somebody thinks I'm okay. Abraham Lincoln. We all need encouragement. And encouragement can come in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's a compliment. It's very obvious. Wow, you're so, you, you do such a wonderful job at this, that, or the other. Sometimes it's a comparison. This past Friday night, I took my oldest daughter to watch some of her friends play ninth grade girls basketball at Liverpool High School. And we, the last time we saw them was their first game of the season. This was, I think, their second to last game of the season. And afterwards, I told some of her friends, you guys have improved so much. And they really had. And sometimes it's the comparison of where you were and where you are. It's an encouragement that you need. Sometimes it's an observation. I couldn't help but notice how kind you are towards your siblings or, or this, that, or the other. And then sometimes it's a question like this. Have you lost weight recently? <laughs> That's always a wonderful encouragement. You know, we all need to be encouraged. And the truth is, is that encouragement is important because there's so much to be discouraged about. <laughs> there's so much. You look around the world and it seems like there's an unlimited amount of um, uncertainties in our world today, in our own community. And then we look inside of ourselves, and it's an equal amount of insecurities, uncertainties around us, insecurities within us. Um, we have a remarkable ability to hold on to negative words, remember them, magnify them, replay them, but also we quickly forget and forfeit the kind words and the positive ones. We need other people to see in us what we can't see in ourselves to speak what is true. And as the people of God, there's an important work for us to do, a priestly, kingly work that God has called us to do to bear his image well in his creation. We cannot grow weary in doing good. We need encouragement. See, we need encouragement, but we turn to many other things. Let me give you a list of some things we do when we don't feel encouraged. We distract ourselves with busy lives and full calendars. We connect ourselves to others through screens and social media. We numb ourselves with the consumption of entertainment and food. We intoxicate ourselves through substances and pleasures. We escape from it all, even trying to escape from ourselves sometimes through, through experiences and excursions. But there's no substitute for encouragement. And I don't, I don't know where you are this morning, but my guess is there's no one here that couldn't use a little more encouragement. I have the opportunity of leading cohorts of pastors all over the state of New York. In the last two years, I've probably been able to journey through different cohorts with about two dozen different pastors. And I'm telling you, and this is not about, this is, pastors don't have it worse than anyone else, but I'm telling you, I've never seen pastors more discouraged than these past two years. What we've gone through, how all the metrics have changed, how people have left and, and, and not come back, and, and, and the, the challenges of navigating COVID, the challenges of navigating the political landscape of our country, all these different things, every, landmines everywhere, and every pastor I talk to is so discouraged in many ways. And so we need encouragement. And this morning, I want us to see, as we're continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit was given to us was to encourage us to encourage us. 
And as a church, we're reading through the Gospel of Luke, and, and we're, we're headed towards the book of Acts in a couple weeks. And the book of Acts tells the story of the early church. And the early church has an explosive beginning in a really wonderful way. The Holy Spirit is sent on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and Peter stands up with new boldness and confidence and preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people are saved that day, place their faith in Jesus. And just a chapter later, he has the same opportunity to stand up and to preach after the healing of the, blind, the man who was uh, crippled at the gate beautiful. And 5,000 people, an explosive 8,000 people with two sermons. I take it. I would take it. 8,000 people, two sermons. The bar is pretty high there. But then it, the early church experiences explosiveness in a bad way. This uh, persecution comes at them. And they're being hunted. They're being chased. Um, they're being killed for their faith in Jesus. And there's a man named Saul who is overseeing the executions and the persecution. And he's on the road to Damascus where he's going to continue to hunt down Christians who have now had to scatter all over because of uh, the persecution. And on the way, Jesus has an, he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus literally knocks him off his horse. And he has a revelation, a vision of the crucified Christ. And it changes his life. And before we move forward, I just want to pause and say this. That is what every single one of us needs more than anything else in this world, an encounter with Jesus. That's why if you look at the big circle graphic out in our lobby, the first step if, here at Trinity is to come and see Jesus. You don't need to come and see me. You don't need to come and believe everything we believe. You don't have to come and agree with everything that we agree with. You need to come and see Jesus. An encounter with Jesus is the only thing that ultimately changes our hearts and changes our lives. And so Saul all of a sudden is a different man. And he comes to the church and he says, I'm one of you. And they're thinking, no, this guy, this is like another trick. This is a spy, right? How unlikely is this that the man who was our worst nightmare is in causing us to be discouraged over and over now is one of us. But thankfully, Barnabas, who was the son of encouragement, encourages the church and says, no, open your arms to Saul, who they now called Paul. And Paul becomes this incredible leader in the early church, and he begins to preach the gospel and plant churches. And in Acts chapter 9, they've welcomed Paul in, and I want you to see what this summary of the church in Acts 9.31. It says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So you see the church is already spreading the gospel. As Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it's already happening, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger, the church is getting stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and on this phrase I want us to see, with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. I never noticed that in this text before, that the Holy Spirit encouraged the church. What does that mean, and what does that look like, and how can that affect our lives? See, this word encouraged right here is the Greek word paraklesis, which is the exact same word Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. It means exhortation, comfort, and encouragement. What this means to us this morning is that the Holy Spirit never discourages the people of God. The Holy Spirit is always encouraging. And if you have a discouraging voice in your head and in your heart and in your life that is always speaking negatively to you and discouraging you, I can assure you that is not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not a discourager. The Holy Spirit is an encourager. And what we have with the Holy Spirit is not someone who encourages from a distance, but someone who encourages up close. That word periclesis, that word encourager, means literally one who is called to someone else's side. When you're in trouble, you're trying to fix something in your house, and someone shows up who actually knows what they're doing, and they come to your side. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
to have someone called to your side. And it's this imagery of someone coming alongside you, not just to help you do something, but to do for you what you couldn't do on your own. In 1992, uh, the Summer Olympics, there was a British sprinter named Derek Redmond who was running the 400 meter, and he was one of the favorites to medal that summer. He, in the first round, because there's multiple rounds that you have to run to advance to the final medal round, in the first round, he recorded the fastest time of all of the sprinters. In the second round, he won his quarterfinal. And then in the semis, he was cruising. He was on his way to the finals. He was approaching the halfway point of the race where on the track, he tore his hamstring and he fell to the ground. And the medical help came out to assist him off of the track, but he refused the medical help because he said, I'm gonna finish this race. And so he got up and he began with a torn hamstring to try to limp the rest of the way, halfway through the race, limp the half of the way to the finish line. And his dad, whose name was Jim, couldn't stay in the stands. And if you saw this, you'd never forget it. Jim comes out of the stands and he goes right to Derek and he, he puts his arm underneath him and he comes alongside of him and together they finish the race. It's such a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit finds us, not just with torn hamstrings, but with broken hearts and broken lives and the inability to finish the race, to run the race. We, we can't get there, and there's nothing else that can help us, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside. This is the closeness of the paraclesis, the encourager. He's not just close in the way that he comes alongside of us, but he's close because he actually dwells within us. See, Jesus said to his disciples, it's better for you if I go. It's like I heard a preacher recently say, Jesus is pulling out this, this classic breakup line. It's not, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I'm no good for you. And Jesus is saying, here's what Jesus is saying, that the Holy Spirit within you is actually better than Jesus beside you. And that now, because Jesus went to the Father and the Father sent and the Son sent the Spirit, the Spirit of God, which in the Old Testament dwelt in buildings and structures and came upon people for specific tasks and specific seasons, that same Spirit now dwells within you and I. So the, the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. The Spirit is within you. So the Spirit comes alongside, the Spirit dwells within, but then also, please hear this, the Spirit remains. He does not leave us in our circumstances, in our challenges. He is with us and he is for us on the mountaintop and in the valley, the Holy Spirit is there. The psalmist, David, in Psalm 139 says it this way, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The Spirit comes alongside, the Spirit dwells within, and the Spirit remains. He is our faithful encourager. But how? How does he encourage us? And this is why I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning is just showing us two ways that the Holy Spirit encourages us. There's two things that he's always trying to remind us about. Two things he's always trying to tell our hearts and speak to our spirits. And the first thing is that he's trying to remind us what has been provided. What has been, past tense, provided for you and me. This same man, Saul, who was killing Christians who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, wrote much of the New Testament. Only Luke wrote more than Paul in terms of quantity in the New Testament. And in one of Paul's letters to the church in Rome, 
he says this. We're going to look at this passage together, Romans chapter 8. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit. Listen to how many times he says the word spirit. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, which is just a way of saying Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. If we're the children of God, then we have the inheritance of the goodness of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What Paul here is talking about in this passage is what has been provided for us by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what Paul wants us to know is you could not have provided this for yourself. Not with a hundred lifetimes. Not with your best efforts. You couldn't do it. He said you have received the spirit adoption. He didn't say you have achieved the spirit of adoption. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of watching an adoption ceremony. But in an actual legal adoption ceremony, you will not see pride and arrogance in the heart of the child who is being brought in. Why? Because they didn't achieve it. They received it. They didn't earn it. They were given it. And Paul is saying, you don't achieve this. Everything that's been provided for you is not because you've been good and you've tried your hardest and you're doing really great. You have to receive it. You cannot achieve it. So what have we received? What has been provided? And I want us to see that there are three things that the Holy Spirit provides us with. It's the reality, the experience, and the benefits of salvation. The reality of salvation, Paul says in verse 15, you are led by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that seeks us out in our lostness. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us the sin in our hearts and the need for a Savior. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus Christ to our hearts. If there's no Holy Spirit, there's no salvation. And so the Holy Spirit has given to us the reality, the fact of our salvation. But even more than that, it's not just the reality, it's the experience of our salvation. He said in this passage, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's what Paul is teaching us, that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the assurance of your salvation. The Holy Spirit communicates with your spirit saying, you're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Don't forget your identity. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what's been done for you. That is the experience of our salvation. It's one thing to know that we are saved and to believe that we are saved. In some cases, to wish that we are saved. But it's another thing to have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. You belong to the Father. You're in his hands. He gives us both the reality and the experience. But here's the other thing that the Holy Spirit gives us, the benefits of the salvation. It says in verse, uh, we read it in verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the Holy Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul is saying without the Holy Spirit, you can't even cry out to God. You won't have the benefits of sonship the benefits of being an heir. So in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, we receive the reality of our salvation, the experience of our salvation, and the benefits of our salvation. And this is a great sort of, um, this is a great list for you to look at this morning and say, what, am I, what have I received from the Holy Spirit? Have I received the reality of salvation? Have I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or am I still placing my faith and trust in myself? 
and my ability to achieve? Or have I laid down all of my achieving and all of my efforts to receive what Christ has done for me? Have you received the reality of the salvation that's available for you through Jesus? Maybe you say, yes, I have, but are you living with the experience of his salvation? Do you have the assurance, or are you always wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Did I mess it up too much this week? There's an assurance that comes from the Holy Spirit that says you belong to the Father. You're not saved by your goodness. You're saved by the goodness of Jesus Christ and your faith and trust in him. And then are you experiencing the benefits? And the greatest benefit is to be able to cry out in the darkest moments of our lives, Abba, Father, Daddy, and know that he, hear, he hears and he cares. The reality, the experience, and the benefits. And the encouragement of the Holy Spirit is constant reminders, whispers, assurances, he gives us gifts. We talked about that last week. It's timely. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, his encouragement is always personal. <laughs> it's never just generic in general. He knows you, and he can personally encourage you in ways that are unique to you. But also, here's what I love about the Holy Spirit's encouragement. It's true, and it's for you. What good is encouragement if it's true? If I'm a terrible singer and you say, you have a wonderful voice, it doesn't do anything for me because I know it's not true, Right? Or, but if you say it to the person, now my wife does have a wonderful voice. So if you say it to Aaron, Aaron, you have a wonderful voice. I'm happy for her, but I'm not really encouraged. What about me? What have you noticed about me recently, right? And so encouragement works if it's true and if it's for you. This past week, we were down to one car because Aaron's car, its transmission went, oh my Lord, that is a mess. But we were down to one car and so we dropped, uh, we're dropping our girls at school together. Normally we kind of divvy that up because they go to three different schools. And so we're dropping Caroline together and as we were dropping her off, I pulled up to the sidewalk, and Caroline gets out of, I got my window down, and Caroline gets out of the back door, and I, and I hear her say, I love you. And so I, I yell out the window, I love you more. And then Erin starts laughing at me. I was like, what? We do this every morning. This is normal. She goes, that wasn't Caroline. <laughs> I said, what? She goes, there's a mom. There's a mom out there dropping her kid off, <laughs> saying I love you to the kid. She may have felt encouraged, but it wasn't true and it wasn't for her. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit, when he encourages us, it's true. See, when, when the Holy Spirit, this is one of the ways the Holy Spirit encourages us, and we talked about this last week. When you're reading scripture and all of a sudden it comes to life, that's the Holy Spirit. And when you can apply it to your life in a way that encourages you, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the Holy Spirit encouraging you. And you can rest in this. It's true. You're not making it up. And it's for you. And this encourages, in all, encourages us in all seasons of life. One of the books I was reading this week says, all who are God's children are also heirs of his promise, but a willingness to follow Christ in suffering is another sign of being God's children. A willingness to follow Christ in suffering. Remember, Jesus didn't suffer so that you and I would never suffer. Jesus suffered so that our suffering would not be without meaning and that our suffering would not be without purpose and that our suffering would not be without end. Our greatest encouragement is not the absence of suffering and sorrow, but our greatest encouragement as children of God is the presence of the Holy Spirit even in our worst suffering and our greatest sorrows. Now, when we forget what has been provided for us, what do we do? We strive and we try and we exhaust ourselves trying to provide it for ourselves. 
We run around trying to provide things for ourselves, provide for ourselves what has already been provided for us by Jesus. But what we provide for ourselves, all those efforts actually enslave us. That's why Paul talks about the spirit of slavery. The spirit of slavery is you trying to provide for yourself what Jesus has already provided for you. Here's why. Because if you provided your salvation, if you provided your way out, if you are the source of your own good news, then it all rests on you. And it continues to rest on you. And it will always rest on you. And now the governments are upon your shoulders. And that's not good news. That's not the encouragement that we need. If you provided it, then you can easily lose it. How many of you have learned that in life? If you provided it, it will lead either to pride when you're doing good, when you're doing good or worry and anxiety when you feel like you're not doing well. And if you provided it, it will actually rob you of worship because you will feel like I owe nothing to God because I saved myself. But when you realize you have not provided it, but it has been provided for you, you know what it makes you? A worshiper. A worshiper. So the Holy Spirit encourages us by, number one, reminding us what has been provided. And secondly, I'm going to have Pastor Antonia join me, what has been promised. Let's read some more from Romans chapter 8. Paul begins to look forward, and I love this. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Paul does not ignore sufferings. He doesn't say we shouldn't expect them. He doesn't say that they're not a part of life. He, he recognizes they are. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So now he's lifting his eyes above the present sufferings to the future glory. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, all of creation itself, this is why we believe that God is not just restoring, God is not just rescuing humans, but that God is going to restore and renew all of his creation because creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. What Paul does here is he is reminding us of what has been promised. I don't know how many of you watch QVC or you've seen those late night infomercials, but there is a very specific sales technique that they use. And the sales technique is called, and that's not all. You've seen it. You get this wonderful mop that magically makes your house look incredible. It's like, it's so much fun. I think when you, when you use it, music starts to play and you're like, you're instantly like a character in a Disney movie and, and, the, and it's 1999 and you can do it in five installments of two bucks each or whatever, or four bucks each, sorry, bad math. But at the end, before they actually try to get you to buy it, they'll say, and that's not all. We'll give you another one for the same price. And that's not all. Someone will come and do your first cleaning for you, right? And so it's like, it's, it's that whole uh, technique of before you're even asked to make the purchase, they've sold you. Some of us are suckers for that. The Holy Spirit says to us, that's not all. Yes, look what's been provided, but that's not all. Look at what's been promised. I wanna give you five things, and this is gonna be really quick. Don't be nervous. They all start with the letter R, easy to remember. Five things, and the Holy Spirit says, this is what's been promised. This is, this is what encourages us. On your darkest days, in your worst moments, when you don't know how to take that next step, start preaching to your heart what's been provided and what's been promised. Here it is, the resurrection of our bodies. I mean, outwardly, we're wasting away. Anyone else feel that? I'm gonna be 44 this year. Anyone else feel like... Ah, I'm, I'm not, my body doesn't work the way it used to. I play basketball, things I can do in my head, I can't do with my body. 
I used to recover quicker, and now it takes me weeks to recover from, 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 from just a little bit of activity. These bodies, we're not, we don't last forever. We break down. Outwardly, we waste away. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16. We have the promise of the resurrection of our physical bodies. That someday, we will have perfect bodies renewed and resurrected. There's the renewal of all creation. Revelation 21.5. God sits on the throne and says, Behold, I am making all things new. The brokenness of nature, the brokenness of this world someday. And creation will be the way that God created it to be. The restoration of all things, Deuteronomy 33. God, your God, will restore everything you've lost. Is that an encouraging promise to some of you this morning? That God will restore to you everything you've lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and he'll pick up all the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. God knows every piece of you, where it was broken, where it was scattered, where it was lost. And someday he's going to gather it all together and restore it. And then how about this one? Reparation for all wrongs. The evil and wickedness in this world. He will, he, he's going to come back and he's going to make everything right. He's going to act with justice. He's going to hold everyone accountable. And then lastly, this is the best one, believe it or not. Reunited with the Father. Isaiah 25, 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the encouragement of what has been promised to us, the resurrection, the renewal, the restoration, the reparation for all that's wrong, and the reunited reality with God the Father. And here's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's speaking this to our hearts all the time. Don't forget. Don't forget what's been provided, past tense. Don't forget what's been promised in the future. Hold on to that. As we close, I want to bring us to this passage that Paul wrote in Thessalonians. What's happening in the church in Thessalonians is their brothers and sisters are beginning to die. And they thought Jesus was going to return before any of them died. And so now they don't know what to do. What happens when someone that we love dies? What hope do we have? And so Paul writes these words that are so timely for us. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That means those who have died. That you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, this is what's been provided, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is what's promised. One verse provided and promised. Verse 15. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, whenever that day is that Jesus Christ returns, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have died already will rise first. Then we who are alive at the return of Jesus Christ will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And I love this finishing line. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Throughout the history of the church, this passage has not been a source of encouragement. It's been a source of argument and debate and different interpretation and fear, actually. Using this verse to put fear on people. But that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say use these words to scare each other into loving Jesus and serving. He says, therefore, with these words, encourage one another. Because Jesus has not left us without hope and without the promise that he himself will return for his people. We have that hope. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. 
Our bad things turn out for good. He's a redemptive God. Our good things are never lost. He's restorative in all things. And the best things are yet to come. That's the promise and the hope that we have. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. You're a faithful encourager. And you don't encourage us with empty words and broken promises, but you encourage us with the words of heaven and the promises of heaven. Look at what's been provided. Look at what's been promised. We trust you.